0: Hello and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering and related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Rashmik Saha, co-founder and CTO of Skyflow, and we'll be talking about why PII data isolation matters. Rashmik, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me back. Uh, It's (laughs) always exciting to talk to you and discuss some ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for coming back. I'm glad that you're you're not tired of me yet, uh, and we'll be seeing each other soon in person at Reinvent. But anyway, what what's new in your world? Uh, what's going on?
1: So I'm in Australia this week, and um, the weather is very different than what I have seen before. Uh, apart from that, um, in the last couple of months, I got to attend a few conferences, uh, which many times I don't get to do because of my uh, schedule and all, but um, it's very in. Uh, it's uh, very fascinating for me to get the validation from customers or prospects that what we thought about, uh, what was ideas four years back, uh, the technology we created, the product we created, actually resonates with customers now. Uh, people in the industry who are actually tackling this problem of PII and what would how to deal with sensitive data. Uh, the other thing, interesting thing that I've seen happen over the ne- last couple of months is that people are actually asking about how to solve it. Because from day one, I think uh, privacy, everybody knew it was a problem. Everybody kind of uh, said that, yeah, the solution you're talking about makes sense. But uh, lately I have seen that everybody is asking a slightly different question is how do we solve it? So it has become urgent, and there are a lot of uh, reasons why people want to solve.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting. Like you know, I do think it's incredibly validating that you know, if you look at sort of the timeline where Skyflow started, it was you know, essentially uh, 2019. So you know, a little over four years ago at this point, pretty far ahead of I think where we are now, or like essentially looking ahead at a time like the world was different in terms of the way it was thinking about privacy. There was GDPR that came in in 2018. But since then, there's been, especially in the last couple of years, this huge growth in uh, a variety of different privacy regulations and concern over privacy uh, regulations as well. And that's probably also feeds into maybe this transformation that you're seeing in terms of people now asking kind of the right questions around, like, how do we actually solve this problem? So so it's it's not just, you know, sort of an afterthought, but somewhat... It's one priority for the business, but also they're kind of thinking about it from more of a first principles approach of how do we actually solve this rather than how do we you know maybe put a band aid on it or you know check off some something to to kind of say that we're compliant but not necessarily solve the underlying problems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think i um, I just spent a few weeks in India. The DPDP law just got passed, and everybody now knows uh, that they have to. Do something about it they have to and I think the cost is also becoming a problem. People are now trying to estimate how much they are going to spend solving this problem, so I think uh, having APIs for a solution is a good idea
0: <laughs> yes yeah so uh, very good uh, great forward thinking there and very validating so today you know we're talking about PII data isolation, which is a you know I think a core sort of principle of some of the um, you know architecture and decisions that we've made at, at skyflow but maybe to start a little bit more general outside of just purely pii what is the principle of isolation
1: idea of isolation is quite simple it uh, to me it means that you just isolate different types of things you put your valuables uh in a different place maybe called locker you put your general uh edibles in your kitchen um There are different reasons why uh, we should isolate things or why we have always been isolated things. So even, uh, I believe that as soon as uh, human beings started storing anything, uh, be it food, be it uh, uh, valuables, they had a principle of isolation in their mind, even as a concept. So like uh, as soon as uh, we had like uh, agriculture was established, I am pretty sure that uh, grains and vegetables were not safe together because they just have a different life cycle. So, And they impact each other in negative ways. So as soon as we had the concept of value, you never put the valuables along with your food, right? I have heard you mention the cheese and the diamond story a few times. And I think it was natural to for human beings to keep things separated out. Even if you look at a well-organized person, they put things separately so that they can quickly find the things they want. They don't lose stuff, which is not very different than losing data, right? And yeah, uh, in terms of data, I think, uh, when it comes to uh, any kind of data, we need to isolate it based on usage patterns, access uh, patterns, nature of the data. Like universe stores, relational data and time series data and um, like NoSQL data in the same place, right? And also based on traffic, if you need a high throughput uh, uh, data access patterns, and if you want to save like blobs where you know that you will only be accessing it in a um, slow fashion or like Cold storage versus hot storage, there are so many different reasons. And people have used it all over the place, uh, calling it isolation or not, but uh, it has been there forever.
0: Yeah, I think you make a really good point in terms of isolation is something that we kind of all do and has been part of like human history. It feels very natural to put in certain objects in or, you know, or food or something like that you know, separate from other places because we know that it might impact it or maybe the rules of engagement are different. Or, you know, even one of the stories I always tell is that, you know, if you walked into an office building from, you know, 50 years ago, it's not like the, you know, the employee records, the financials of the business, the customer records are like, on paper out on the desk for everybody to see, they're probably at the very least locked in a file cabinet somewhere where, you know, very few people have access to the lock or maybe in a bigger business, even within some sort of vault within the company where they keep, like, their extra sensitive documents where very few people have access. But for whatever reason, you know, we've done some of this kind of stuff with data, but we haven't really thought about it in terms of PII data isolation. Why do you think that is?
1: So I think... uh like people used to save passwords in their databases right yes. and it was not a long time ago actually i uh, did a presentation uh a few weeks back and i actually asked the question to the audience and the response let me just say was non-zero <laughs> who are still saving their uh, passwords in the database so i think um it's important to isolate uh uh the pi data but it was it always happens in steps, let me just say. So passwords, now everybody knows that keys and passwords goes into like a key manager and a secrets manager. Uh, has it, is it 100%? No, it's not 100% yet. It takes time for people to change how they handle uh, data. Uh, PII being a separate uh, use case, uh, I think has become more and more important, maybe in the last five to 10 years where uh, privacy has become a a very important aspect, legally and financially and in terms of building customer uh, trust. And at the same time, you have to invest money. So if you look at KMS, uh, the key management systems, or secret managers, they don't come in cheap. So you have to spend money on it. You have to uh, implement a different layer which deals with your keys and uh, secrets. So I think it's uh, you always need to to have a business reason and a financial reason to do things. So now is the time where uh, data privacy vault kind of makes sense where uh, PII data can uh, make business, uh, or you will have good business reasons and financial reasons to uh, invest in something like a vault. Mm
0: -hmm. Just going back to like the example of like a like a KMS or like a secrets manager, what is, I guess, like the main value that you're getting as an organization of using sort of that like architectural pattern or that pattern for isolating that that particular type of data versus the old way where we, you know, we probably would have just stuffed it in a database or maybe even things like secrets could have been part of our source code.
1: Yes, so when it comes to isolation uh, or uh, uh, protecting any piece of data, uh, there are two aspects. One is, what is the storage and what is the access button? So uh, if you think about encryption, it protects the data because the key to unlock the data is not in the same place. So unless you have very different access control for the key, uh, encryption has no value. If you just put the encrypted data and the key next to each other, uh, there is no protection you get. The second thing is, like how do you protect the storage of the key? And that, of course, is uh, much more complex than just putting the data in a database. So these are the two aspects uh, that is uh, the same. like If you go to Secrets Manager, it has uh, different access control and different storage. If you think about the privacy data vault, it has like different storage and different access control.
0: Yeah, so just kind of like parsing out a little bit with the database, you know, the people who are designing a database are designing it with one particular like use case in mind, which might be, you know, essentially like the CRUD operations that you're gonna be performing on the data that's related to a business. So the their expectations around, Um, control of the data within the database is different than when we're talking about encryption keys, because there you you don't necessarily want people just being able to query and pull encryption keys. You need a lot more control over it. And then that means that there's a different level of security that you need to build in. And you probably need um, essentially specialists or or experts that know how to build it and understand those use cases and they're building it specifically to solve that problem just like the database people are going to be solving specifically database problems
1: yes and just touching upon like a few things uh, we discussed earlier like access pattern the rate of use they are very different so if you have used a a secrets manager or a, a key manager you know that you cannot make a lot of api calls to it you cannot have a lot of different versions of the keys so the limits on a in secret or a key is very different than the limits on what you can do with your uh, SQL database or a NoSQL database.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's something that we like even going back to the example of like cold storage versus hot storage, there your expectations about how often you need to access cold storage, you're setting that expectation like it's it's called cold storage for a reason. So you don't need to, you're basically your main objective there is like, I need large volumes of data where I can put this stuff. The objective isn't necessarily being able to answer, respond to a query until 10 milliseconds. But essentially your transactional database, that might be the main objective. So you need to be dealing with technologies specifically designed to essentially satisfy that use case.
1: Yeah. Just imagine putting like, a, thinking about like a cache which runs on flash drive or RAM and think about cold storage, which has like really steep, uh, cheap storage. They, it cannot be too well. So you have to have a completely different system to support mm-hmm. these two very different use cases.
0: Yes. So going back to essentially the PII, what, what are the potential risks and consequences of not effectively isolating PII data?
1: I think today uh, some of the laws and compliance actually dictates what you have to do. So there is a legal implication uh, on how you handle uh, PII data. There are things like uh, GDPR. There are things like residency laws. Uh, which actually tells you where you can save the data. There is potentially a financial aspect because um, not only do you have to be compliant, but if you lose PII, then you have to pay fines. And we have seen how big those fines can be. Right, And uh, that number, I think, has significantly gone up. And it will, uh, like looking at the future, looking at the wordings of some of the uh, laws that are coming in, the fines will be bigger than what we have seen till now. So these are kind of uh, some of the legal and business implications. Uh, But thinking about customer trust, like more and more people are becoming privacy aware. So they want to know where their data is saved, how the data is used, who has access to the data. And it will be harder and harder for businesses to gain customer trust without having a a good security posture or privacy posture so i think apple has done a great job of making privacy a feature and i think more and more companies will do it and uh, not having that might uh, be it might become hard to get customers Mm
0: -hmm. yeah don't you think also that because of some of these, of both privacy awareness and also some of the regulations, things like right to be forgotten, data residency you mentioned, uh, even uh, something like I want to know what you're storing and, you know, how you're using it, becomes kind of like a forcing function for PII data isolation. Because if you're not isolating the data, in the case of data residency, then it's going to be really hard for you to essentially figure out how do I, like, shard my customer data based on, like, different, you know, regions of the world where my customers are based, or in the terms of right to be forgotten, then I need to chase down all these different locations if I have them in 10,000 locations. So all these things essentially become uh, not, uh, there's basically conceptual reasons for why you'd want to isolate the data. But then there's also just like these sort of like things that are forcing people to be thinking in this way.
1: Yes, I think uh, people who have dealt with GDPR, they know that uh, deleting one piece of data is not that hard. But GDPR became like a multi-year, multi-million dollar project for any big enterprise. So it was because the data was everywhere. People did not know where the data was, right? And a Privacy Data Vault or a uh, BI Vault is just the logical way or a clean architectural way of solving the problem. So I think people are understanding that uh, and people are getting to make a decision that will they have like 1000 bandits and they will be uh, like spending years to fix a problem or they just uh, pay the price upfront, choose a clean architecture and then solve a lot of problems.
0: Isolation's you know clearly part uh, like a core principle around the PII data privacy vault. But how would you essentially explain what a PII data privacy vault is for someone who doesn't know what that is? So uh, I would just say
1: like how you save secrets uh, in a secret manager, how you save your valuables in a bank vault. Uh, PII is a different data category, and where you keep your data is uh, PII data is in a PII data vault, and if you want to like double click on kind of uh, the technology or kind of the features you get. So protecting the data is important. So if the data, you just put it in, a, uh, in any place, be it any database and you just uh, don't have access to the data, it's completely isolated. Uh, uh, then it's completely safe, but it's completely useless for the business. So the challenge is really how to protect the data, but keep it usable. So what a data privacy vault does is guarantees that the data is protected but usable at the same time. So like you are, you need the credit card to actually make a payment. You actually need the SSN to file your taxes. So there are use cases for every PII or sensitive data. And we just make sure that uh, the data is, none of the business use cases are broken after you put the data in a privacy vault. so uh going back in the past like i used to work for autonomous cars and if a car is not moving it's completely safe but the idea was to make a car move autonomously and to still keep everybody around the car safe the car itself safe so that's what a uh, bi data vault is protecting your data and uh, keeping the lights on for your business
0: yeah, so it's not purely about secure storage. That's like one thing. But if you lock it up and throw away the key, it's not super useful. Like the reason we keep customer data is so we can use it. So it's really about how you can also enable essentially privacy-safe usage of the data uh, in a way that you know is secure, compliant, and doesn't cause all these you know problems that historically um, have been challenges for companies to solve. Could you explain the concept of zero trust and how it relates to PII data isolation? So um,
1: I think zero trust is a very good way of protecting and securing any uh, software system you are building today. So, uh, so if you think about a bank locker, so uh, employees have access to it, uh, uh, customers have access to it, and maybe some cleaning uh, staff has access to it. So a bunch of people do have access to the building, but inside, uh, like if everybody could access everybody's else's data, there is not a whole lot of point of uh, uh, having the bot, right? So it is very similar to uh, uh, our backend systems where to get in, you need to authenticate yourself. So your identity is verified but if you don't if you don't make sure that at every point at every thread boundary or every uh, service boundary every uh, uh, security boundary you're not validating who the user is and if they have access to that part of the system uh, you are not really doing justice uh, to building a secure system it uh, and that's the reason why it becomes super important when you are implementing like a uh DII vault or <clears throat> uh, anything to do with security. What it basically means in engineering terms is you uh, trust and verify uh, at every point. So what it means to us is that uh, if the end user doesn't have access, is not authorized for accessing some part of the data or some part of compute, they should never be able to use the system. And In a microservices world, it means that you have to do it in multiple places, and you can never leave any point uh, unprotected.
0: Does the fact that in this world we're isolating PII data into a special location make essentially controlling access, like essentially implementing zero trust, And as always, verifying access based on what it is that someone might need to do with the data does it simplify that problem and essentially building that versus if we didn't have the the principle of isolation in the first place and then we were trying to essentially apply these rules with um, the data kind of stored conventionally in a database uh, mixed with all kinds of other things.
1: Yeah. So one of the one of the biggest benefit of data isolation is how uh, access control gets simplified. So if you uh, have all kinds of data, then you have all kinds of uh, systems and people trying to access the data. So uh, if you have only one kind of data, uh, then you, the number of systems that will try to access the data or number of people who should have access to the data is now becomes limited. And the the types of people also Become limited, so the access control really is, uh, in my opinion, a untractable uh, problem. But if you put all kinds of data together, it becomes a much simpler problem. So implementing something like a fine-grained access control policy in a, a data a vault is much simpler than if you want to do it in a in your backend with uh, all kinds of data in the same database.
0: Hey there, it's Sean, host of Partially Redacted. You probably guessed that since at this point in the interview, you probably recognize my voice. I've been told for years that I have a face for podcasting, but no one has mentioned whether I'm a voice for podcasting. So sorry about that. Hopefully the awesome guest makes up for it. Anyway, if you're enjoying this episode, please support the show by subscribing and telling your friends. You can also join Partially Redacted community at skyflycom community. Okay, that's enough for me. Back to the show. And what are some of the challenges with actually pulling this off with, you know, isolating PII data, especially in the case where maybe I don't have a system set up like this today? Yes. So um,
1: building a PII data vault or like building a system where you have isolated all the data is, it's not that straightforward uh, and it is expensive. So first of all, uh, you have to isolate everything. So I think, uh, engineers are trained to reuse, uh, systems, but this is one place where we have to kind of forget some of the training we have had, and we have to choose not to reuse existing systems, uh, from the existing back. So the database has to be a different instance. The infrastructure should be completely separated out. The access control, you should not have the same access control because the kind of, uh, Users and systems that will have access to the pia data should be completely different than people who have access to the rest of the backend system. So um, then the next big challenge comes in once you have isolated the data, like how do you make it uh, usable? So there um, Skyflow has come up with something called polymorphic encryption uh, where we uh, make sure that we are still working in the encrypted world, but can process uh, operations and process queries from our customers. Um, And then you have to think about like, you have to implement something where you only give access to data when it is really required. So like, uh, I think, uh if there was a parallel to need to know basis that's exactly what you have to implement as your policy so even if somebody is authorized to view the data but they don't really need to look at the data right now they should not have access to it so yeah it's a mix of uh uh data protection it's a uh, mix of uh access control and it definitely is a uh Big infrastructure play because infrastructure is uh definitely the first layer of production
0: yeah and I, in implementing some of these you know rules around like data minimization and essentially the principles of least privilege like the way you express it of uh kind of like you're on a need to know basis becomes easier also when you're isolating the data because essentially you can control the rules of engagement specifically for this type of data to support whatever workflow that that individual needs to accomplish to basically do their job. Yes, absolutely. What are some real-world examples of organizations that have done something like this? You know, not necessarily Skyflow, but other other businesses that have treated data in this way and built some more uh, infrastructure.
1: Yes. So I think uh, uh, Apple, Google, Netflix—they're all uh, companies that we know of have done it. Uh, there are also financial uh, institutions that uh had to do something like a uh, vault because uh, because of regulations and because they wanted to really protect the data they had uh i don't know the exact extent of uh or the details of what they had built but uh they are all proprietary solutions which they were probably fine-tuned to the, their own use cases um but the principles are the same that they were normally built by separated out teams, the infrastructure was different, the access control was different, and not anybody, either a customer or an employee by default, did not have access to those parts of the data.
0: Yeah, my understanding is in the case of like both Shopify and Netflix, which are um, examples of companies that built something similar, they built them specifically for solving like analytics, like an analytics use case, like how do we essentially de-scope our data lake or or lake house or data warehouse whatever they're using for analytics from seeing any of the sensitive data and sort of bring that into a single source of truth in in the vault architecture and just kind of like use references within the analytics layer and that way they can make sure that the analytics team has access to the data they need to do their job but essentially they're seeing like an anonymized version of that information
1: i also uh, know about systems where uh some companies call it a vault, and they do have a vault, but they do also have the plain text data so when the use cases they hit a use case where they cannot run it on the vault, then they go back to the plain text data so that's where I think uh organizationally if uh if we separate out the ownership of the plain text data, it makes a huge difference in the architecture because then you cannot access the plain text data in the raw form right as a uh as a whole, so there is there should be no way to bypass it because if the same company is owner of the plaintext data and the owner of the encrypted or the vault and the tokenized data, there will be a back So it will, uh, and I was uh, I was kind of laughing at it, but it is a serious problem that people have.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of a a reason for going with, uh, you know, someone else to sort of own that part of it because they can guarantee the controls and the isolation of the data, especially when it comes to access to the plaintext data. But if the organization has that, it's very hard for them, you know, under, you know, certain deadlines, sprints coming up, we need to release a feature. Like, there's always kind of reasons to create some sort of backdoor into the systems just in case you need it sort of situation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Where, where do you think things, you know, new innovations in the space of, uh, you know, data security, things like secure enclaves, what kind of role would they might, might they play in the world of essentially isolation and protection of PII data?
1: Yeah. So secure enclaves are, uh, really, uh, is an interesting technology. So I think, uh, it's becoming more and more usable, uh, as we talk, uh, we had looked at these technologies uh, four years back i think they have been in the market for some time now but it's a uh, very interesting and um, to see the evolution of it they will have a big role to play in the uh, pii uh, or data protection world uh, one of the very good use cases for uh, secure enclaves is to Uh, do the encryption and the decryption part so basically if you can push all the plain text uh, data handling into the enclave or actually let me put it this way if you can restrict the key access to just the enclave then you can uh, completely protect your keys and if you can completely protect your keys then if the rest of the system only has uh, access to encrypted data then as a whole you can protect the data in a much better way uh, are we there yet? I don't think so. It will be very interesting for me to see, like, uh, it's the same problem that we discussed. Uh, if Enclave gives you complete isolation, then uh, is it usable? So, how much usable they can make without really uh, breaking some of the principles of the Enclave uh, will be interesting to watch. And I do think a lot of good progress is being made. Uh, AWS Nitro is a very good example that we actually uh, are using. So, yeah, as an industry, I think I I know a lot of startups that are making uh, products on top of uh, enclaves. So I'm really interested in seeing how it goes.
0: Yeah, so with the... In the particular use case you were mentioning there of protection around the encryption keys in the enclave that essentially would stop any kind of memory attack that might happen, uh, where someone could you know dump the memory during uh, like a decryption operation or where the keys stored and and get access to the keys. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So, and actually, um, a major threat
1: is um, like there are many fancy uh, hacks that people can theoretically do. And it's always fun to kind of read about them and actually write software to protect against it. But uh, we should always think about insider threat because if you look at all the data breaches, most of the breaches happen because of uh, somebody ha- who has some kind of access to the data, right? right. Be it uh, a bad player or be it the credentials getting lost uh to a hacker from an employee of the company right and when it comes to that what you have to make sure and zero trust is a great way uh like a great tool to fight against that and also uh, something like an enclave where you are basically saying that uh nobody has access to the key so if we can guarantee that you can actually guarantee that nobody can have like a nobody will be able to come in and dump the data out, right? Or dump the plain text data out because encrypted data doesn't have any value. So those are some of the ways I think um, we should think about when you when we really want to protect data.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. Like a lot of these you know, breaches or you know ransomware, various attacks happen because of either a compromised employee or it could be even directly from an employee who has not just access, but like too much access, or, you know, so that it makes it's another case against the sort of trying to do this yourself, because if you have that back door, then someone could actually within your organization exploit the back door that leads to these problems as well.
1: Yes. So for your employees not have to have zero access, the only way to do it is where somebody else owns the vault and nobody in the organization uh, had access to the data. Right? So, And so let's take the uh, case for like the different uh, parts of the government, right? So IRS has a lot of uh, your PI data, uh, like uh, census, like um, the, the Center for Commerce has a lot of your data, but nobody really has access to the data from a different part of the government, right? So IRS cannot look at your census data, they cannot look at your uh, they probably have access to all your financial data, but they don't have access to other kinds of data, your health information. So uh, technically speaking, there is still uh, they will have to raise a ticket. they will have to file a case. They will have to uh, file some legal paperwork to have access to the data. So you would want that kind of a separation. So if everything is part of the same system, uh, where you don't have to let everybody else know that you have access to uh, the data. Then, so putting it in a vault doesn't mean that nobody else can have access, but you will have a paper trail. You will have uh, uh, somebody authorizing that access when you're not supposed to, or you don't have access to by default.
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, it's similar to like if you put your money in a bank, the the money is in a vault, but then. I'm able to use the money uh essentially through a proxy service of like a credit card or a debit card. I'm not actually going into the vault and like, you know, taking the money out or something like that. So there's w- ways of essentially in that in the, in the bank vault world, you're isolating, protecting and relying on the vault's infrastructure to protect, you know, your financial asset, but you're still able to actually use it and no one sort of thinks twice about that. The fact that Well, most people anyway, unless you're stuffing your money under your mattress, but most people trust that that system is probably better than what they could do at home, relying on their own, uh, you know, security measures and the obfuscation of the of putting it under the mattress.
1: Yeah, a very simple check is does your cleaner have access to the money?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, what advice would you give organizations that are looking to, you know, strengthen their PII data isolation practices and, you know, enhance their overall data security posture?
1: Yes. So, I think the first thing is uh, identifying uh, what all PII data you have access to, or you're collecting, uh, or you're sharing. And then uh, the second part will be to really know where you really need to use the PII. So, anywhere you don't need to access the PII, don't, right? That is one of the biggest uh, kind of architectural or design problems that uh, we have seen, that by default, people just access the data. They are not sure if they will need it or they think that they might need it in the future, so they just have access. So that's a bad practice. Once you have kind of an understanding of your system and you have reduced the use of PII, that is the time where you should start putting your PII in a separate place. So that's the point you start isolating the PII. And the next step is basically thinking about tokenization. So what are the places where you really need the real data? Does a token uh, suffice? Uh, We'll see that uh, like the largest portion of the use cases just needs that token, not the real data. And then think about how much uh, you can isolate. Like, do you can you have a subsystem which can detokenize and call a third party API? Does the rest of the system really need it? So suppose you are sending out your e-commerce company and you are sending out uh, packages to your customers. So only the delivery system needs to know the address. Till the point uh, before that, you can just pass in the token and the system that prints out the label or creates the FedEx ticket That's the only system that needs to know the actual address. So uh, I think solving it from an architecture perspective is much better than if you think that, hey, how many different access controls can I uh, buy or how many security products I can buy so that I can prove that uh, the data is secure. Um, You will always find holes and you will never be able to solve the insider threat problem. You will not be able to solve like, uh, uh, even properly the access control problem. If you are not thinking about isolation, so yeah, uh, it's a long way, but it's a it's a guaranteed way to solve the problem.
0: Yeah, and I think you know a lot of times, like h- certainly historically, we've we've kind of convinced ourselves that we need access to data. Uh, you know, throughout the entire system, you know, I want to be able to access this in any microservice or any component and be able to pass it around. But it's actually very rare that you actually need access to like the raw data about a customer's, you know, name or address or something like that. Like maybe if I'm rendering it, maybe under certain sort like reports that I run, maybe a subset of it when I need to, um, you know, communicate with a third party API to, you know, carry out some sort of functionality, like I don't know, mail a letter or, you know, and carry out a, a credit card transaction or something like that. But most of the time, internal systems, we really at the very most need a proxy to the information. So, you know, to your point about most of the time, some sort of tokenized version of the data is probably good enough.
1: And if you have noticed, like Google has come up with like a token for the address. So it's basically uh, uh, characters and uh, special Signs which will exactly tell what the location is, but it doesn't have any names or street numbers in it. So uh, that is still like it's not like uh, full encryption. Like it's more like a hash, and you can kind of uh, uh, back. Uh, you can break it, but the thing is, it's so simple. Like I think the day there will be a day where you are just putting a code uh, for an address, and you don't really need to know uh, anything more about it
0: yeah I mean, I think the ideal situation in the United States for like a social security number would be we would stop giving away our social security number to everybody and we would give some sort of like tokenized version of that that would allow them to you know use the social security number for whatever they need to use, but it expires or you have control of essentially the access rather than it just being everywhere and uh you know essentially in everybody's database at this point
1: yes, and I think uh, when you talk about s s n what people really need is to validate that this SSN belongs to this person or they're basically doing identity check. Like, uh, like IRS has your SSN, right? They don't need to know your SSN. They just need to know that you are the person uh, whose SSN this number is. Right? So I think validation uh, can be done without access to the data. And that's the part where uh, people should really think about moving compute into this isolated environment where you can get answers, get decisions out, and not still look at the actual data. So, um, yeah, and there are lots of technologies that have already been built around it. There are ways to do it. Just have to make sure that you, are, you want that to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it, there's you know a whole space of like zero knowledge proofs but a lot of the times what we want to do with the actual customer data is like assertions on the data. We want to know someone's older than, you know, 18 or 21 or something like that. We don't actually need to know their date of birth. We just need to know true or false is this person of age or lives in this particular area or whatever it is in order to support that workflow. But then we've essentially convinced ourselves that we need the raw data to do that. But really, we just need to perform business logic in isolation, essentially compute within the secure environment where the PII data lives, not exposing our systems to the actual underlying information.
1: Yes. And if you can achieve that, I think that reduces the and data privacy, data security problem a whole lot.
0: Absolutely. Well, as we start to wrap up, uh, Rashmak, is there anything else you'd like to share on this topic? Uh,
1: No, not much. I think uh, uh, thanks for having me, Sean. Uh, This is always a very interesting discussion uh, to have for me. And uh, yeah, uh, it's great to watch your show and uh, hear about uh, everything that is going on, not just in privacy, but in general in the software world, in like LLM World and so
0: on and so on. Awesome. Well, thanks for, for being a part of this. And I will see you soon in Las Vegas at AWS reInvent. Thanks, John. Cheers.